Wonderful, wonderful. Good morning. Good to be with you. And isn't it nice to be warm? Come on. Thank God for hating. And uh, I woke up this morning and uh, scraped some ice off my car. So there we are. Listen, it's a great joy to be with you. Thank you for the team who've already ministered to us uh, so well. And it is my absolute privilege to share the Word of God with you for a few moments. So listen, if you've got a Bible and you want to follow a beautiful reading from the Bible, then I'm going to read from First. John chapter 4. So 1 John chapter 4. Now if you're new in the church or maybe you're just visiting, you don't have a Bible, you can just listen along. Uh, But if you are part of the Bridge family and you've got a Bible close to hand, I would encourage you, grab it and then follow the reading with me. So I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4 and we'll read from verse 7 and we'll jump straight and so here we go. So it says this. This is John writing to a church just like ours. And he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in him and lives in us, sorry, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect or complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wow. Amazing words. Uh, Verse 18 is the bit we want to lean into for a few minutes this morning. And it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, that we've been celebrating and worshipping about this morning. When it comes to that relationship, uh, fear's greatest fear is that we will know how loved we are. If fear could have a fear, I know fear's a thing, it's not a, a personality, it's not a person as such, but if fear could have a fear, 
fears fear would be that me and you really get love. Because love is the greatest fear that fear has. Why? Because love, when it truly comes, when it truly abides, when it truly enters into our world, it has, it has one big advantage and one big consequence. It drives away the fear. And actually, this is a remarkable idea. It's a remarkable truth that we as followers of Jesus must really lean into. And I know it's language that we know and it's very familiar to many of us, but we've got to really grab this again, that actually one of the great enemies of our life is fear because fear drives us away from God, drives us away from his presence, drives us away from who he is. And the antidote to that fear is not courage, The antidote to that fear is love. (laughs) Knowing you are loved will give the answer to the fear. Now, when it comes to the Bible, there are two types of fear. Uh, And forgive, forgive me if this seems sort of overly simplistic, but roughly there's two types of fear. There's what I call a good fear, and then there's a bad fear. The good fear is what sometimes we might interpret as reverence to God or respect Or even in some cases, that word is translated worship to God. So when it says, fear the Lord your God and serve him only, what it really is pointing there uh, to the idea is worship him. Understand who he is. Revere him and reverence him. Give him his proper place and then draw close to him. So that's what I call a good fear. It's a fear towards the Lord. But then in the Bible, there's a bad fear. A fear that actually when it gets a hold of us, gets a hold of our hearts, gets a hold of our lives, it drives us away from the light and it drives us away from the Lord and it drives us into a place of difficulty and darkness. And that's the fear that John is talking about here in verse 18. In fact, the word could be translated terror. Imagine if we translated it that way. So let me, let me read the verse for you again. If I translated it with a slightly stronger word. There is no terror in love. Why? Because perfect love drives out the terror. Because terror has to do with punishment. And the one who is terrified is not made perfect in love. And this is so, so important. If you read our passage and you read or following the words or listening to me, you would have heard big ideas repeated. You'd have heard love repeated a lot. You would have heard the idea of being perfect or complete repeated a lot. And you would have heard the word fear repeated a lot. Now, let me just give you the numbers. In our passage that we read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, love is mentioned in one form or another 27 times. 27 times it's mentioned. Fear is mentioned four times. And fear is mentioned four times, all in the same verse, verse 18. And it's almost like John is trying to teach us that actually uh, love is not only the answer to fear, but, but this abundance of love, this saturation of love is the one thing we need to fight that fear. And the other thing that's really important is every time John talks about being made complete 
Or sometimes the NIV translates it perfect. It's the same word, complete or perfect. Here's what he means by that. You you come to a place of, of maturity and wholeness. Every time John talks about completeness and wholeness, it's to do with love, not fear. And John is teaching us that fear will keep us from being whole. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord now, when it comes to our relationship with him, fear will stop us from becoming whole or complete. But when we enter into love and love enters into us, when we understand we are love, love, that love brings us to wholeness. Brings us the completeness. And when love brings us the completeness and wholeness, it pushes the fear away. All right, are you with me? And this is such an important, important idea because when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, the Lord doesn't want us to live in terror. He wants us to live in the freedom of his love. He wants us to live in the abundance of his love. For you and I to know we are loved and that love is relentless and that love is for us and that love is unconditional and that love is unreserved and that love is unlimited and that love is amazing. When me and you enter into an understanding of that love, that's a game changing idea. Because it has the power to drive the fear away. And this is why Paul, when he writes to another church, a man called Paul, John wrote these words. Another follower of Jesus called Paul uh, wrote these words to a church in Ephesus. And here's what he says. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. There it is again, this idea that fullness, completeness, wholeness comes out of a dynamic understanding that we are loved by God. And that belief that the Lord loves us, that belief that the Father loves you, that belief that you are loved unconditionally, unreserved and unlimited, that that love, as the uh, message version of the Bible describes it, extravagant dimensions of that love is for you. It's for you. It's for me. And, And as humans, we struggle to grasp that idea. Because we think we've got to earn that love. We've got to work for that love. We've got to climb a mountain for that love. We've got to pray extra long for that love. We've got to read our Bibles a bit more for that love. And no, no, here's what the Bible says. That love has come to us. That love is ours. That love we have received. I love that word that was brought earlier on. That the children who see a, a table of abundance in front of them. And they go back to the stuff they eat every day. Right? That's not about the food. That's about the mentality of the child. Right? The food's there. That, that, that abundant table is before the children. And it's theirs to take. But something in their mind says, I cannot have that. Something in their mind says, that's not for me. Something in their mind says, that's for somebody else. And yet it was for them. But because of the mindset, because of the fear within them, they couldn't possibly reach out and grab all those goodies on the table. So what do they do? They go back to porridge and beans. 
Come on now. Come on now. What a powerful word that was. And it's a word for somebody in this house. And it's a word that actually really resonates with this word. That actually if we're not careful, you know, the Lord has so much for you, so much for me. He has already done so much for us. He wants to give so much for us. And we settle for porridge and beans. Now when you're hungry, porridge and beans is great. But when there is an abundance on the table and we settle for porridge and beans, that's more to do with what's inside us than what's on the table. Are you with me? And, and that's, I think that's what John's leaning into. That fear keeps us from the abundance. That fear keeps us from the completeness. That fear keeps us away. So what's the answer? John says the answer is God's love. And I love what John does here. He says this. He says, perfect love drives out fear. Now there's a lovely play on the idea here because uh, if we translate the word fear as terror, and you'll know this word, the, the word that John uses is the word phobos. And you know that word. You've, you've come across things like phobia. It's a fear of agoraphobia. Yes, that, that fear of, of, of perhaps being outside or fear of heights or fear of spiders. Or, and we've got all these phobia ideas. And the idea is that whatever you're afraid of, you're, you're staying away from, you're, you're backing away from, or you're running away from. That fear paralyzes, that fear cripples, that fear restricts, that fear holds us in one place. And John does something amazing here. He says that fear that wants to terrorize you when it comes to your relationship with the Father, what does love do? He says, love drives out the fear. <laughs> love bullies the fear. That actually the bully of fear is now being bullied by love. And where love and fear are in the same room, there's only one winner. And that's love. Love is stronger than fear. Fear fears love. Yes? And so that love drives it away. And John uses this word when he says, drives out fear. Uh, one of the images would literally be, it's like love grabs fear by the scruff of the neck and kicks it out of the house. Drives it out. And this is a beautiful picture, a beautiful, beautiful idea that, that the power of love, when we know we're loved by the Father, when we know that Jesus Christ, that love that he demonstrated for us on the cross, is not just for humans in general, but that love is also for you as an individual, that he loves you relentlessly, unconditionally, he loves you without limit, he loves you without reserve, and that love is for you. When we really, 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 really get that, that becomes a terrorizing idea for the terrorist fear. And love drives out fear. And that's why we need it. And it's got to go from an idea in our brain. Yeah, I'm loved by God to a reality in our hearts. When it's a reality in our hearts, it will drive out the fear. Are, are you with me? Does that make sense to you? So important, so powerful. It's, it's fundamental to the power of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about even fear of issues out there. I'm talking about our relationship with the Father. I meet so many Christians settling for porridge and beans. When the Father who loves them says, 
table's full. But somehow, somehow we don't feel we can come to the full table. Why? Because, because actually there's something in us that's, that's maybe not accepting how loved we are. We are loved by God and that love will drive out the fear. I, as many of you know, I was raised in Belfast and I grew up in Belfast during the Troubles. And uh, I, I was three years old when the troubles kicked off. So all I ever knew was the troubles. Soldiers on the streets, policemen, guns, bombs, all of that malarkey uh, going on in the context of Northern Ireland. And where we lived uh, became known as a peace line. So it was a flashpoint between Protestant community and a Catholic community. And so the Catholic community was on this side of the road, the Protestant community was on this side of the road, and our lovely wee Ainsworth Avenue was right in the middle. Okay, and we were one of the main arterial routes for also for the British Army. So if the British Army were transporting troops from one side of the community to the other, they went down our road. So it was all very, very exciting as a, as a child growing up in the Troubles. And my mum and dad loved Jesus. They were followers of Jesus, went to church regularly. All of that were very openly followers of Jesus. But there was a family who lived quite close to us, and they mistook my mum and dad's following of Jesus that we were Roman Catholics so we grew up in a Protestant area and my background's Protestant and they thought because we were super religious uh, that that we were Roman Catholic and and the young man who lived in this house at the time was about 15 years of age he was big he was strong uh, he was a bit of a bully he was a even at 15 he was showing all the traits of being a career criminal all right, and I mean that absolutely sincerely. He ended up in jail for killing two Roman Catholics. Okay, so he was a nasty piece of work even at 15. Okay, uh, and I'm just being really honest with you. Everyone uh, feared him and he terrorized our area. Now, I was about 10 years old at the time. And of course, he's, he's the big lad in the area and he thinks I'm a Roman Catholic and he's a Protestant. And so he's going to show the 10-year-old Catholic what life's all about. And so I'm walking down the street one day and he sets upon me. No provocation. No, I wasn't even looking at him. In fact, I was trying to not look at him. I was trying to avoid eye contact in every way. And before I could say, I'm not a Roman Catholic, he jumped on top of me and he started to beat the living daylights out of me. And I'm not exaggerating to say, uh, I really didn't know where I was. I was getting a beating and a kicking and I was absolutely getting monstered by this young man who was much much bigger and much much stronger and fortunately one of my friends who saw what was going on ran up to my house banged on the front door and my mum came to the door Mrs Andrews you better come quickly so and so is like killing your John and so my mother I came out of the house. She had her penny on. She'd been cooking. And she had her penny on. She was four foot 11. My mother, she's now in heaven. I hope she's growing a little bit in heaven because she was really, she was like vertically challenged. Do you know? Uh, so four foot 11, my mother was. I'm six foot one. So you can imagine what that was like. Um, and, and she ran out of the house. Her youngest son, her wee boy, her wee John was getting monstered by this boy. And uh, my mother went into super mum mode. Now, what I'm about to say to you, if, if it happened today, my mother would go to jail. <laughs> so, so disclaimer, 
Okay, you have to set the story in the historic context where things like this in Belfast were sort of normal. Okay, uh, and in your world, it shouldn't be normal in any stretch of the imagination. But my mother looks down the street, sees her youngest son getting an absolute kicking and runs down the street. And before I know it, she's on top of him. She pulls him off me and she starts to do onto him. <laughs> what he has been doing on to me and she beat the life out of him like like honestly I, I've never seen anything quite like it my mother the adrenaline kicked in red mist had descended she was just absolutely going for it and she was beating this boy to such an extent that actually he was screaming and shouting didn't quite know where he was and and she was really giving him a pasting and at one point he broke loose of her grip now, he lived just across the road. He was so disorientated by my mother's beating him that instead of running home, he, he ran round the car in front of him and got underneath the car. <laughs> just completely terrorized by a four foot 11 Ulster woman. And, and he got underneath the car. And, and you think, that's the end of the story. My mother then, uh, okay, I, I've done my job back home. Oh, no, no, my mother's still not finished. Oh, no. She then gets down on her hands and knees and is trying to get him from underneath the car. And I have a, a memory, a, a vision of a, of a Christian Jesus-following woman, a beautiful, generous woman, like a tigress underneath the car trying to get a hold of this boy. And he is squealing uh, for relief and squealing for someone to come and save him. Uh, and here's the sequel to the story. He never touched me again. <laughs> my friends would say when they were beaten up, I'll get my dad for you. I used to say, I'll get my mum for you. My, my, mom, my mom knows where you live. She's, she's on her way, penny and all. She's going to wipe you out. Um, right? now, now here's the thing. Here's what happened that day. My mum bullied the bully. She literally drove out the fear. Now, I know it's an extreme story, but I tell you that extreme story because that's what love does. Love is not going to put up with the fear. Love hates the fear. Why? Because the fear will grip you. The fear will terrorize you. The fear will keep you from the presence of God. The fear will keep you small. The fear will paralyze you. The fear will stop you taking what's on the table and reduce you to porridge and beans. The fear will take us to places that the love of God does not want us to live, does not want us to be, and does not want us to settle for. Fear wants to keep you small. Fear wants to keep us miserable. Fear wants to keep us in the dark. And fear wants to keep us terrorized. That we are not loved. But love says, no, you are loved. You are cherished. You are the apple of God's eye. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to terrorize love, to, to terrorize fear, to say to fear, you have no place in love. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got to be that, that aggressive with this idea. Not just put up with it, not even let love, uh, not even let fear have a room in the house. It's no place in your life when it comes to our relationship with the Father, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Don't let it have even a grip 
in your world. Because it's not wanting to power share with love. It's wanting to take dominion of your life. And when fear reigns, we, we struggle to worship. When fear reigns, we struggle to respond. Like we've been talking about on, on a Monday night. When fear reigns, we, res, we struggle to respond to the Holy Spirit. We struggle to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us. The Holy Spirit wants to give us some. We struggle to believe that all those good gifts on the table are for me. Because they're for somebody else. No, they're for you. Because you're loved. And the Lord has something he wants to give to you. Come on, are you with me? And just like my wee mommy beat the tar out of that bully that day. And thank God she didn't go to jail. That would have been a bad end of the story. Love wants to terrorize fear. And love hates fear. But what stops us accepting the love of God? Just two little things, which I found over and over again very dangerous. And I've had to contend with in my own life. What stops me accepting this love? When I, when I look at the table full of good things, what stops me taking, taking all those good things and settling for the beans and the, and the porridge? What, what does that? The first thing is ignorance of who he is. When we don't know who he is, we will struggle to accept what he offers. Now let me say this to you, and I know you know this as a follower of Jesus, but let me repeat it. How you see him determines everything. And if we see him as a loving father, if we see Jesus as a saviour of love and mercy and goodness, if we see him as the, the wonderful band uh, have tried to position us today towards someone who is relentlessly and lavishly committed to us, that's a game changer. Because as we see him, we relate to him. As we see him, we'll either open up to him or we'll close off to him. And as we see, that's why John over and over again said, did you notice it? God is love. Why is that important? Because as you see him, will determine everything. If we see him as the God of love, not just the God who loves, but the God who is love. If we see him like that, that's going to help me to open up to him. It's going to help me to trust him. It's going to help me to lean into him. It's going to help me to take those goodies on the table because there's no trick. There's no trap. There's no booby trap. There's no uh, small uh, print. There's no T's and C's that I haven't read that are going to spring up and whack me in the face as I take the cake instead of settling for the porridge and the beans. Actually, actually, he's a God who says, come on, this is for you. Well, well, why? Because I'm love. Because that's what love does. Come on. How we see him determines everything. When I was in Bible college, I had the privilege of sitting under the tutelage of a man called William C. Williams. <laughs> that was his name. Uh, Professor William Williams. And he was on sabbatical. And uh, even though he was on sabbatical, he came to our lovely little Bible college in Mattersea and gave us a few months teaching for free. Now, this man was like amazing. I had never seen anyone or heard anyone teach like him. So for the first time in my life, I saw a professor teach directly from the Hebrew Bible. 
So he didn't teach off the English Bible. He read the Hebrew Bible and translated it as he read. Okay, I'd never seen that before, right? I'd never, never witnessed anybody doing that before. I didn't even understand what Hebrew was as a 17-year-old student. And I'm sort of like this guy, wow, all those squiggly lines in the Bible. And he's like making sense of this. this is, and I found out he was the chief uh, translator of the Old Testament NIV translation. So in, in the 80s when that came out, he was the top man leading all the translators of the Old Testament part of the NIV. Yeah, you're a hard crowd to impress. I, I'm thinking, wow, okay. So he could speak and read and write Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and he was learning Egyptian as a pastime. Again, I was hoping for a bit of a better response uh, to a level of genius, which, which was truly amazing. Now, when he lectured in class, honestly, he taught the Bible like he wrote it. Honestly, I've never, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand how amazing this experience was. I was in awe of this guy. And in the classroom, he seemed like, oh, Professor Williams, untouchable. Like, and I'm this 17, 18 year old kid in Bible college. I don't even know one end of the Hebrew alphabet from the other at that stage in my life. And this guy's like just rocking it. Amazing. And when I looked at him in the class, he seemed untouchable. And, and I so much wanted to talk to him. And I so want, wanted to ask him questions. But I was so afraid that he would think I was stupid. Or, or, or he wouldn't want to speak to a spotty, skinny uh, Irish kid. Uh, sort of trying to just... Uh, I was so afraid. I was so insecure that, that I didn't even go near him. I would just walk out of the class and not even look at him, you know. Right? And one day, Pro- Professor William C. Williams walked into the common room. It matters, see. And I remember I was sitting there and I went up to the professor and I said, Professor, are you lost? (laughs) This is the student common room. He said, no, I've come to see you all. I said, what? He said, I've come to see you all. And he sat down. Now, lecturers never come into our common room. I can't even remember the principal even coming into the common room. It was like, no, no one came to that. And, this, and here he is, Professor William Williams, sitting in the common room. And then after a while of talking, his back was a little bit twingy, so he lay on the floor. <laughs> I'm going, okay, where's Professor William Williams and what have you done with him? What's happened to this man? Has, something ha- has he been kidnapped by aliens while he's been in his room? And he's lying on the floor and so we're sitting on the floor with him and as he sat on the floor I saw a side of the professor I had never seen before in the class he was untouchable austere awesome amazing super clever and here he is on the floor sitting with a kid from Belfast changed everything I now not only saw him as an amazing professor, I saw him as like a bloke, like a proper person. And not only that, he seemed to like me. (laughs) Go on, this is great. I remember when he was leaving at the end of his sabbatical, I was out and doing my duties at Mattersea and I was standing on a step. He was six foot four and I was six foot one. Um, I was going to say six foot one at the time. I went for my medical research and I've shrunk. (laughs) I'm now only six foot. 
I was six foot one when I was 18 and I'm now only six foot. Anyway, besides that, let's just sort of throw that in. Bit of free therapy. Uh, there we are. But I'm standing on the step. He's six foot four. And because of that, he's looking straight in my eye and he grabbed me by my jacket. I was out like working outside. It was cold. And he grabbed me by my jacket and he pulled me right into his face. And he said to me, if I ever hear that you've messed up, I'm going to come back and kick your butt. <laughs> Professor William Williams is going to kick my butt. Come on. He knows my butt even exists. Come on. Wow. That was 1986. It's like it was yesterday. It's a life-changing moment. It's an incredible moment. And, and here, here's, here's what changed. My, my relationship to him changed because my view of him changed. He went from to a friend. Are, are you with me? Now, now listen, God is other and God is amazing and God is awesome. And, and we must never forget that. But if we only ever see him as far off and awesome, it's going to be really, 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 really hard to accept the idea that he loves you passionately, intimately, and personally. He doesn't just know your name. He he knows, to use the Professor William, he knows your butt, right? He knows everything about you. He knows the hairs on your head. He's read your mail. He knows everything about you. There's nothing about you that shocks him or creates an illusion because he knows everything. And he still loves you. Wow. Now that's really awesome. That's truly awesome. And many lovely Christians struggle to take off the table because they're not quite sure if I reach for the cake, boom. Leave that alone. That's not for you. That's for somebody else. And some of us are afraid to reach for the cake because we're absolutely certain we're going to get whacked. And you know what? That really upsets the father. Because our reluctance to take the cake is saying, we don't trust you. We don't really, really, really believe you love us. Are you with me? Not only is ignorance a problem, but last idea, insecurity. The team, do you want to come and get ready? Insecurity. Ignorance of him will produce insecurity before him. All right, this is a natural consequence. You'll know this because you've had experience of this. But when, when we're not sure about someone, then it's going to produce that insecurity. And, and, and it's one of the continuous ideas I've seen in followers of Jesus. We are insecure when it comes to the Lord. We're just not sure. It looks too good to be true. And as somebody once said, if it looks too good to be true, it normally is. When it comes to this moment, it really is true. It doesn't just look too good to be true, it's true. It's true that he knows my name. It's true that he knows everything about me. And it's still true that he says to me, come on, John, come close, come close, come close. And he invites me close. My, my oldest daughter is now 30. She has a daughter of her own. She's on staff at our church. 
in Scunthorpe. She's a wonderful, wonderful girl. She'll be horrified I'm about to tell this story, but I've sort of indirectly got her permission because I told it at her wedding. So it is a public domain story now. So if it gets back to her, well, I might be off her Christmas card list, but here we go. When she was younger, about three years old, she loved to have a bath. In fact, her daughter, Abigail, our granddaughter, is just like her. Abigail loves a bath. And in our first home, we didn't have a shower. We put the shower in, we had a bath. And so, so Elena loved her bath. But here was the thing, I sort of enjoyed a bath too. I can't remember the last time I've had a bath, but I used to love a bath. Now, I had a shower this morning, in case you're thinking, John doesn't wash. No, I have a shower. I just can't remember the last time I had a bath. Who's with me? That's the last time I had a bath. I, I can't remember, right? But back then, bath was the way to get washed. Now, I remember one day uh, coming in from playing football and, uh, on Saturday afternoon, and I ran the bath. And this is absolutely true. Uh, Elena, wherever she was, if she heard the bath water running, she just started stripping off her clothes. Right? And by the time Elena got to the top of the steps, the stairs, she was buck naked, right? Three years of age, standing there. Ta-da! Here I am. And I'm running the bath. And she's standing, she doesn't have to say a word, but standing there, she's saying, I want to get in the bath with you. Because she loved sharing a bath. And she would, she would stand behind me and scrub my back. And then she would pretend to put foam on my face and, and shave me and all of that sort of stuff. It was just wonderful. I mean, wonderful, wonderful memories. But here's the thing I, I remember. Here's the thing I remember. There was never a doubt in her mind that I would say no. She knew that if she was standing in front of me and the bath was running, she knew I would say yes. There was such a security in that child of who her dad was that if he was running the bath, (laughs) she could get in the bath with him. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, we grow up, we get mature. And we forget the simplicity of that moment. The simplicity of a secure heart that comes to the Father, approaches his grace full of confidence. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us approach the throne of God with boldness. Not arrogance, that's a different conversation. But come with confidence, like Elena Didn't say a word. Didn't even have to ask. She just had to appear in the bathroom. And she would knew, she knew she would get in the bath. Come on, are you with me? And actually, when it comes to fear, fear says, keep your clothes on. Don't go into the bathroom. Leave him alone. Don't bother him. You're not welcome. He doesn't want you. He doesn't love you. He won't accept you. And love says, take your clothes off. Strip off walking up the stairs. Walk into the bathroom and you don't even need to say a word. Just look at him. And he will say, come on. Get in the bath. I need my back scrubbed. Come on, get in. Get in with me. Come 
with me now because I love you and I want you. Amen? Elaine is 30 and I say, darling, you can't do that anymore, okay? We, we, we're not... Are you with me? Ladies and gentlemen, we've had a word this morning from that, that young man that brought that word. It's a word from God for somebody. That actually beans and porridge, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with beans and porridge. But when there's cake and delights and great food on the table, settling for beans and porridge is fear at work. And he loves you. We live in a bonkers world. The world is going absolutely bonkers. And I don't know about you, but I need to know. There's a God who loves me. We're not alone. That we're not having to work to earn his love or his favor. But that he loves us with an everlasting, unconditional, relentless, lavish love. Now, if that stays in your brain, that's just a piece of information. If that moves from your brain to your heart, that will change your life forever. And whether you're a Christian for 30 seconds, or whether you've been a Christian like me for a million years, it's still the same idea. I need to come and stand on a Sunday morning and know that I am loved. And know that I am accepted. And know that it's not because I've earned it or because I'm clever or because I'm better than somebody else. It's because of He is love. And because His love terrorizes the fear and says to the fear, leave my son alone. Because fear will keep me away from the glory of His presence. Keep me on a diet of porridge and beans. Keep me clothed in the living room. Keep me far away from Professor William Williams. Keep me from all the completeness that he has for me. But love says, let me drive the fear away and come close to me. Amen. Will you stand with me if you can? I'm going to pray for you. Our time is almost up. Brothers and sisters, there is no fear in love. When it comes to our relationship with the Father, if there's fear, it's, it's because love is not reigning. And sometimes that is because of ignorance of the Father, ignorance of the Lord. We don't quite know really who He is. And that ignorance produces an insecurity that keeps us away from him and says to me, says to you, the beans and the porridge is enough. When the father says, but the whole table is before you.
And I want to pray right now. If there are people in this room and fear is keeping you from love, that just while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you want to respond to that word, just where you're standing, lift up your hand or lift up your hands to the Lord. You're not lifting it to me. But lift up your hand or your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to be bound. I don't want to be far away from your presence. I want to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That my world would be transformed. That like little Elena, I would just stand before you as who I am. And and know that I am loved. that I wouldn't live in the shadows or live in the dark but come confidently into your presence and so Lord I pray for my brothers and sisters right now I pray for each one of us for those who will listen online for those who will engage with these words at a later date Lord may we have a revelation that we are loved May we have a fresh revelation, O Lord, that you are love. That you're not just a God who loves, but it's the very nature of your being. It's who you are. And that, Lord, you love each one of us passionately, relentlessly, lavishly. And, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everyone under the sound of these words that, Lord, we will step from the shadows into the light. Lord, we will step from fear into love. Lord, we will step from a sense of distance from you and into acceptance by you. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that that truth will become a living reality for every person in this room. Brothers and sisters, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out the fear. Fear has to do with punishment, but the one who fears is not made complete in love. May you be made complete in love. And may the glory of love, his love, his love for you, drive out the fear. In Jesus' name, amen.